Who do you say that I am? This question has arguably had the greatest impact on the world than any other question. This question has single-handedly been the cause of one of the greatest debates ever. And this question has had the greatest minds to ever walk this earth pondering and seeking to answer it. Who do you say that I am? Simon's answer, this lowly fisherman from Galilee, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Today, my brothers and sisters, we encounter one of the greatest dialogues in the history of mankind, the exchange of two persons that we had the privilege of hearing today was one of the most epic moments in history because it would be the foundation of something that would still be occurring 2,000 years later. It would be the start of a succession that has totaled 266 men. This exchange would stand at a moment in history when the boldness of one man who spoke on behalf of all those present would then lead to the king of kings to allow that same man to rule in his place and to have his authority on earth. In other words, you could say that this moment changed history forever. So let's look at this exchange again. Let's look at the dialogue once more. Jesus gathers his 12 closest friends, his 12 apostles, who he's been forming and teaching. And he has a simple question for him. Who do people say the Son of Man is? In other words, what are people saying about me? Well, Jesus, some, they're saying you're John the Baptist. These guys over here, they're saying you're Elijah. Oh, I think we heard some people saying that you were Jeremiah. And there was a couple people over here who said you're just one of the other prophets. Now, that's not really a compliment because all the people they just named are dead. Or maybe it is a compliment. Maybe it's a testimony to who they think Jesus is. Because they obviously see that there's something out of the ordinary with this man. If they claim him to be someone who has already died, they see something superhuman about him, supernatural about him. They've seen all of his miracles. They've seen all of his healings. Who is this man? And then Jesus is not satisfied with those answers, so he looks to his 12, and he asks the question, who do you say that I am? And then Simon, this man who kind of emerges throughout all the Gospels as a leader of the 12, he speaks up and says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now his answer has two parts to it. First, he's just saying, look, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. Now we saw last weekend that even that Canaanite woman declared Jesus to be the Messiah. But then, that second part, you are the son of the living God. Now we often hear that and we say, okay, yeah, Jesus is the son of God. But think about being there at that moment. For Peter 
to say that he was the divine son of God. A radical statement. To such an extraordinary response, Jesus answers, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my heavenly Father. Our Lord points out to Simon that those were not just his words, but rather they came from the Father. They had a divine source behind them. His words were inspired, and they meant much more than he thought they meant. You are the Son of the living God. Then the following words from Jesus became the reason why that question, who do you say that I am, changes history. That question that provokes Peter such profound remark then in turn gives way to allow Jesus to make an even greater, even more remarkable response. First, Jesus changes this guy's name. A pretty bold move. He says, Simon, you're no longer Simon, but you are Peter. You're no longer Simon, you are rock. I've changed your name. But he doesn't stop there. Jesus goes on and says, And upon this rock, I will build my church. You see, this rock is Peter himself. For his name literally means rock. Now, without getting too much into the details, you have to trust me on this one. The word for church in the Greek is the same word that they used to describe the people of Israel when they came together for worship. If you read the Old Testament, it would say, the assembly gathered. In Greek, the ekklesia. And now Jesus is saying, upon this rock I will build my ekklesia. Jesus is basically saying, my people, Yahweh's people, those people who will gather in the Gentiles with him, those people who he built upon this man, Simon, who now is Peter. The people of God from the Old Testament now become the people of the New Testament and they're mine. And I'm giving them to Peter. So, so far we have a name change which in a Jewish context means something big is happening. Think about Abram. His name is changed to Abraham when he becomes the father of all the nations. So we have a name change. We have an establishment of a role. But then Jesus goes a little further, and he says to Peter, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now let's think about that for a second. He just said, whatever you decide here on earth, Peter, I'm going to ratify in heaven. Such power given to this man. Something interesting is going on here. This exchange is a little more than what we thought it would be. And to understand it a little more clearly... We have to go back to that first reading that we heard today in Isaiah. 
So we hear about something very similar happening. Remember that first reading? We hear about this guy named Shebna. Not the most common name. Shebna has this role, this office that he's taken. Now, the question is, what is his office? What's his position in the kingdom of David? He's kind of like a prime minister. What does that mean? That means he's second in authority to the king alone. And that when the king is absent, he's in charge. He becomes the king while the king is gone. He literally ruled in the place of the king. And that office was passed down from people to people to people. Now, this prime minister held the keys to the kingdom. And as our first reading says, when he opens, no one shall shut. And when he shuts, no one shall open. And you can only shut doors with the keys. Now Peter has the keys, not just the kingdom of David, but to the kingdom of heaven. But it doesn't stop there. There's even more to the story. Because on top of that, our first reading indicates to us that this office had a much more unique role. This prime minister played a specific role. He was the father to the inhabitants. He played a fatherly figure to them. They called him Father, Papa, Pope. So what's going on in this passage today? What's going on in this encounter between Jesus and Peter? In other words, Jesus is making Peter his prime minister. He's making him the first pope. He's making him the first father to all the people of this new ecclesia, of this new church. And he holds the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever door he opens will be open. And whatever door he shuts will be shut. And he has the very authority of the king himself. So that when the king ascends into heaven, Peter rules in his place. But let's go a little further. This office, like that in the Old Testament, doesn't stop with Peter. For when Peter passes, another person will assume the role, and it will go on for 2,000 years. And now we call someone else Papa. His name is Francis. He's that sign of unity for the church, for Jesus' ecclesia. Okay, Father. Enough talk about all this popery in the scriptures. What does this have to do with me? How does this affect my life? What is so important about this message today? I'll let Jesus explain that. He says, the gates of the netherworld will not prevail against the church. Thanks be to God. The church, which for 2,000 years has been faithful to continuing and passing on and following the successor of Peter, that church will always stand firm. She will always be victorious. This church continues, 
has remained constant until this day because Christ the rock has established it upon Peter the rock. In our opening prayer, we pray that the uncertainties of the world may not cast us down. And my brothers and sisters, we can stand firm in that because we are in the ecclesia. We take refuge in the church. We take refuge in that boat. Can I imagine Noah's ark? That when the waves of evil and error rock us to and fro, we remain solid on our journey. We have been invited. We're a member of that church established by Christ upon Peter that we still continue today. It's where we take refuge. That when we hunger for God, we literally receive him. When we're sick, we get anointed by his priests. When we've sinned and messed up, we go get washed clean in the confessional, in the sacrament of mercy. The ecclesia, the church established by Jesus Christ himself, we can say, I belong to that. But do we treasure such a gift? Do we treasure being a part of something so much bigger than ourselves? And if we do, may we not fail to share that gift with others. Let us proudly profess, my brothers and sisters, that we belong to the one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. And that we proudly profess that we're heirs to the kingdom of so great a kingdom.